We're going to read one verse this morning and uh, refer to many other verses using this as a springboard to help us understand the true meaning of the coming of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's pray first. We'll look at this verse and uh, we'll go through this sermon together. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful and thankful that we can be gathered together on this day. Father, truly we can say every day is a gift from you and we're so thankful for it. We thank you that you have given us life, but not only this life, but life more abundant through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that in his name we have life eternal, forgiveness of our sin. We thank you, Lord God, that we have passed from death to life. And we ask and pray this morning that you would use your word to get a hold of our hearts. Father, I pray that your word will never become common. Father, we would never be uh, used to it in such a way that it never uh, simply convicts us or uh, challenges us or even encourages us, Lord God. I pray that your word will continue to do, Father, what you've purposed it to do. And that's, Lord, to help us, to grow us, to challenge us, to edify us, to lead us along in light in this dark, wicked world. Father, we ask and pray that you still our hearts and souls. Help us not to be, uh, Lord, distracted by what's going on in the world or out there. Father, I pray that we would be still for this moment. Lord, that we would listen to your word intently, that we would be ready to hear and do the very things that we learn today. Help me convey your word in truth and in sincerity. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be, what's that word? Rich. When we think about Christmas in our universal culture today, for the most part, the average person doesn't really think about the birth of Christ. Uh, the common man thinks about holidays, family, gifts, gatherings, making merry, and feasting. As a matter of fact, this time of the year has been relabeled various things depicting the heart of man. Seasons, greeting, uh, you know, things of that nature, uh, happy holidays, everything but the purpose and the cause of Christ. Yesterday I went out, and, uh, or the day before I went out on Friday night asking people if they celebrate Christmas, and some said they did, and they, I told them, really, what do you celebrate it for? Is it for Jesus or yourself? And for the most part, the majority of people said self. They were being honest. Uh, there, was a car, there was one young lady who says, I really celebrate it for the presents that I get. Another couple said that they celebrated Christmas, not for, in a religious sense, uh, but more for just gathering together in, as family. As a matter of fact, they said, we don't really believe in God. And, uh, and so we see that the common man celebrates this as just a holiday or excuse to make merry and be with people, not really thinking about the birth of Christ. <clears throat> uh, there are those, that, a very small minority, that perhaps would think about the birth of Christ, but really fail to remember or even think about the significance of his incarnation. I would say even those people in Christendom today that would say, yeah, 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 Christmas is about his birth, fail to recognize why he came. As a matter of fact, there was a church in America, look at this photo here, said church honors the birth of Christ by what? Canceling worship service. Now what kind of honor is that? 
Uh, it's a very strange honor to me, isn't it? It's almost like church service and worshiping God is a hindrance to them on that day. It's very subtle. Subtle, isn't it? Honoring Christ. Well, the best way you and I can honor Christ is to do what we did aforetime, and that's to continue to worship the Lord every day, all week, all year, to the day we die or to the day he returns. The cradle is highly emphasized with no regard to the cross. You know, think about it. The nativity scene, the wise men, the star, the shepherd, the angels, all focused on except the cross is really, rarely recognized. The manifestation of Christ was not the beginning of his existence, but rather it was the fulfillment of the will of God. And so I want to give you several things to think about just by this verse. <clears throat> I want you to think about the purpose of Christ, uh, the poverty of Christ, and then also the passion of Christ. Look at the first, the purpose of Christ here. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich. Look at this. Look at these four, four words here. Yet for your sakes he became poor for your sakes. When and if you think about the birth of Christ, we must not stop or sh fall short of its divine significance that really points us to the what? To the cross. Points us to the cross. You know, you know Jesus was born to what? Die. Jesus was born to die. The cradle should point us to the cross. The very name Jesus and the meaning thereof given to the Son of God would even demonstrate the very purpose of his birth. And uh, the angel said to Joseph, you should call his name Jesus, which means Savior. What was the purpose? That he will save his people from their what? Who wants to talk about that at Christmas? <laughs> Who wants to talk about uh, sin and sinners who wants to talk about that? No. There's no you know, emphasis on, thank you, Lord, for, for coming into the world to die on the cross for my sin, for my sake, for my soul. John the Baptist prepares the way for the cause of Christ. He says, behold the Lamb of God, that what? Taketh away the sin of the world. See, the whole world lieth in wickedness. We've all been stricken with the canker of sin. We all have this cancer, if you will, called sin. In the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were enjoying the rich presence of God, the bliss of paradise, until sin entered into the world. And look at death by sin. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. The wages of sin is death. John reminds Christians of the fact regarding the cause of Christ. He says this in 1 John 3, 5, and ye know that Jesus was what? Manifested. To take away our sins and in him is no sin. Paul even testifies about the cause of Christ. In 1 Timothy 1.15 he says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus himself said uh, the very purpose why he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when Jesus manifested, he also came not only to deliver us from sin, but also to destroy the works of the devil who initiated the fall. The fall, the temptation to cause Eve to sin and rebel against God was the devil's work. First John 3.8 says this, and he, he, he committed sin is of whom? The devil. 
for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was what? Manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil is to devour, destroy men's life by getting you to rebel against God. See, the devil knew that if Eve took or ate from the fruit, she will surely die. He knew that. He knew the promises of God. He heard it. It was the devil, that old serpent, who tempted Eve to rebel. And Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for what? To steal, to kill and destroy. And that's the old devil, the serpent, the works of the devil is to come to destroy men's life. Even when Jesus was gone up and be tempted of the devil in the wilderness, the devil wanted Jesus to die prematurely. Remember when he said, throw yourself off this pinnacle and the angels will give charge, uh, God will give the angels charge to uh, carry thee or uphold thee lest you dash your foot upon a stone? It was not only about tempting God, but the devil wanted to destroy Jesus right from the very beginning. Oh, they even say this, the devil was at work even at his birth. Remember the time where the uh, men came to Herod and said, we're here to worship Jesus that's born in Bethlehem. The king, worship who? A king? And Herod got a little uh, you know, insecure and, the, and there's no doubt the devil used him to try to destroy him. And God uh, helped uh, Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt until Herod would die so they can come back again. Why? Because Herod wanted, the, he wanted him dead. So even the devil wants Jesus to die a premature death outside of the will of God. And this is what his work is all about. It's to get you to turn away from God's will and do the very things that displease God. Brethren, the devil hates you. He doesn't want you to be saved and worship God. Even, even at now, what we have left in the so-called Christmas uh, seizing, they say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the what? You know why that slogan was born? Because so-called the meaning of Christmas was long gone, long past. No, no one really celebrated Christmas for Jesus. I mean, come on, everyone got gifts but Jesus, right? And it was his birthday. Right? And, and the people that say, no, 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 we want to maintain this so we can remember Christ. That, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason. But that's even gone. That's lost. Why? Because now you have Santa Claus. Can you, can you even think about some good churches invite Santa Claus to be their guest in their church to give the little kids presents? I was horrified of the fact that, G well, that, 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 sorry, that preachers would take pictures with Santa Claus. I mean, that should be a no-brainer, right? Because the devil is the father of all lies and Santa Claus is a lie. And by the way, don't let your kids sit on his lap. You're sitting on a lie. That's all you're doing. You're promoting a lie, sitting on a lie. And, but to have a picture with a lie, I mean, that, just, that was just despicable. I mean, can't people see, preachers even, see what's taking place? Well, this is the devil's work. By the way, Santa Claus has other names given to him. Father Christmas. Father Christmas? He knows when you're naughty and nice. Or he knows he's omniscient, is he? Wow. See, he's so subtle that he tries to take the, uh, the God's place. He, and this is what the devil always wanted to do. Take, take the place of God. Emphasis off Christ. Emphasis on uh, yourself or this world. Brethren, the devil hates you. How did, the, how did uh, Christ destroy the work of the devil? By his life? By his death? by his resurrection, and listen, finally when he returns, he will come and destroy him utterly. 
he would be in, 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 in a, a prison called hell forever. Ever. Locked up. Chained up. No more to deceive the world again. He's a deceiver. And Christians are being lied to. They're being lied to. They're being deceived. Thinking that this time is about the Lord, really. Now, search your heart. Is it really about the Lord? Is it really about Jesus? Does our world celebrate Christ the Lord? The devil's so subtle. So subtle. Really, if you search deep down in our modern universal culture, it's really about them and not about Christ. It's always been about us. And the devil always wants to make it about us. And I'm simply preaching to you today that it's about him dying for us, yes, but for a purpose, because we're sinners separated from God, separated from God's purpose and plan. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And if it weren't for Christ being born to die, you and I will have no hope at all, no hope of forgiveness of sin, to be reconciled with God and live as true worshipers of God that worship God in spirit and listen, in truth. This is the kind of worshipers God is looking for. I want you to see the poverty of Christ. Not only the purpose, but notice now the poverty. Look at this, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Look, it was through the poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have been made rich. The provision of Christ would demonstrate complete selflessness and sacrifice. You say, how did Jesus become poor? I, I believe Philippians chapter 2 exemplifies this perfectly. Turn there, leave your finger in 2 Corinthians and go to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see this. Philippians chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says there in Philippians chapter 2. First of all, Jesus uh, became poor by this. Number one, Jesus is a king and he becomes a servant. Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him a form of a servant. See brethren, what we have to understand is this, that Jesus pre-existed his incarnation. Not like these religious cults that masquerade in the name of Christianity that say that this is the beginning of Jesus. No, Jesus existed way before he was even born. This is why he was rich and became poor. Proves to us that he was rich in more ways than one. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. See, Jesus does not have an end or a beginning or a beginning or an end. Jesus is and was and will always will be. Jesus simply was glorified with the Father before the foundation and the formation of the world. Notice what he says in his prayer to God the Father in John 17. He says, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self. Look at this. With the glory which I had with thee before when? Before the world was. 
And so we can safely say that the Lord's incarnation was the beginning of his earth, earthly physical presence and ministry. He left the throne to become a servant. He was a king or is a king and became a servant. Matthew puts it like this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The appearing of the first coming of Christ was to bring about salvation that was promised before the world began. Titus says this, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. A king becomes a servant, a minister, typifying the greatest leadership ever, one that lays down his life for another. He, how did he become poor? He is a king and became a servant. Second of all, he is God and became a man. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not what robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, look at this, and was made in the likeness of men. Was made in the likeness of men. Think about that. Jesus, the creator of all things, owns everything, came, comes down from heaven and is made in the likeness of men. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a stable in an animal shed and by the way, it wasn't his, it was borrowed. Luke chapter 2 verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. What do you mean no room for him in the inn? No room for him in a, in a guest house or in a motel, so to speak? No room? No room for the creator of the world? Now he has to be born in a cradle where the animals eat from? Wow. I mean, he made himself of no reputation. You know, in, in his poverty, yeah, simply he was raised up a, a, a Nazarene. He could not stay in uh, Judea because of Herod's son. He also was ruthless in his ruling. And Joseph was warned by God because of him. And they moved to Galilee and lived in Nazareth. It is said that from uh, the, Jew, uh, Jew, uh, the Jews in Judea despised the Galileans and the Galileans de despised the, the Nazarenes. They were looked down upon. And when Philip found Nathanael, he says, Look, this is the one. You know, this is the one. He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Yeah, the best thing came from Nazareth. He made himself of no reputation. He wasn't born in a superclass place, in a palace. No, he wasn't raised up in a common, you know, beautiful uh, atmosphere, so to speak. It was, Nazareth was despised, so to speak. And Jesus was raised up in a poor home. Mary and Joseph were not rich in a physical sense. When Mary and Joseph were to present Jesus before the Lord, as it was a custom under the, Moses' law, they would have to offer a sacrifice, and the common sacrifice would be a lamb. But if you didn't have a lamb because of your poverty, you can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons, which they did. Throughout the life of Jesus, Christ lived as a poor man. He said it himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't own property. He didn't own house. He, he was poor. He made himself of no reputation. You know, when Jesus caused his disciples to eat the Passover, he directed them to meet him in a rented room. I want you to see this. Notice what the Bible says. And, he, and, and Luke 22, verse 11, And he shall say unto the goodman of the house, 
The master saith unto, the, unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He rented a room in the guest chamber so they can have a Passover together. Even the tomb of Jesus was bought and borrowed by a wealthy, wealthy man named Joseph from Arimathea. Thank God for Joseph, Joseph Arimathea that uses his riches for the cause of Christ. What an example. But even Jesus had a tomb that was bought and borrowed by a man. Just for the record, I want to say this. Jesus Christ did not cease to be rich in his deity when he made himself poor. He made himself poor. But that didn't mean that he ceased to be rich. He did not cease to be God when he became a man. All he did is made himself of no reputation and was willing to take a, a, a form of a servant and become in the likeness of man. From the cradle to the cross, from his birth, listen, to his death, Jesus was worshipped as king. Always worshipped as king, though he lived poor, physically speaking. I like what a man of God once said, just as Jesus added humanity, but never lost his deity. So he also added poverty, but never lost his riches. For he assumed poverty, yet he did not lose his riches. Inwardly he was rich, outwardly poor. His deity was hidden in his riches. His manhood apparent in his poverty. What a blessing. Now how did Jesus become poor? He was a king and became a servant. He was God and became man. And he is eternal and was willing to die. Look at this, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, Jesus is the one who died in our place, paid the price that we cannot pay, the debt of our punishment that we could not pay by his own life. Warren Reesby says this is the ultimate experience of poverty, was when he was made sin for us on the cross. Hell is eternal poverty, and on the cross Jesus became the poorest of the poor. See, Jesus foresaw his suffering. I want you to see this in John chapter 12. Look at this. I want you to see, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? Look at this. For this cause, what? For this cause came I. For this hour. This is the time, my time of suffering and time of death and crucifixion. This is why I came. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Even on the cross, he was stripped from everything that he had, his own clothes off his back. For your sakes. For your sakes. That we may be rich, brethren, this is the way in which we believers are made rich. We can't, we can't miss this. It was by his death and resurrection that we have been made rich. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, look at this, the righteousness of God in him. That's true riches. When, you know, when we think about some, some people use this verse, I mean, charismatic movement, and the, uh, the prosperity gospel ripped 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 really out of its complete meaning and context. Talk about physical possessions, that through the death and life of Christ that we would be rich in possession, far from the truth. This is talking about eternal blessings. 
If what we have in look, listen, we have the righteousness of Christ because of his death. The righteousness of God because of his death. A man of God once said this, he took our debt so that we might become heirs to his wealth. He took our sin that we might take his righteousness. He endured Psalm 22 that we may claim Psalm 23. I like that. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust. Why? That he may bring us to God. What a, what a beautiful thing. That we now have peace with God. You know, through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have been given life, peace. Life and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, the earthly man or the carnal man wants to uh, focus on these trivial things, these carnal things, and this is what takes place today. But true riches are eternal. True riches are in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.10 but, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ for what purpose? Who have abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel by his death and resurrection we have life. In John 11 Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me though he were dead shall live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me look at this shall never die believeth thou this I mean, this is true riches, brethren. Eternal life, the gift of eternal life. Paul calls it this, the unspeakable gift. <laughs> the greatest gift ever given to man is eternal life, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, life eternal through our Lord Jesus Christ. I like what one man said, I think it was D.L. Moody, he said this, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of the East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word? Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I should be alive then. I, uh, I should be more alive then I am now. I should have gone up higher. That is all out of this old clay uh, tenement into a house that is immortal. A body of death cannot touch. That sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I told Elisha, when I die, I want this superscription on my tomb. I said this, I said, I want, please go home, I'm not here, I'm with the Lord. You know why? Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Hallelujah! That's the best gift anyone can have. Even if you got not one gift for your birthday or this time of the year and poor me and all the rest of it, you are rich in Christ. He's given you all because of his poverty. He's made you rich to sit in heavenly places, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. You are royalty. What more do you want? <laughs> and people just don't understand. People get more excited about the trivial things of this life than what they have in Christ. That's how much the world has a pull on us. You know, people get depressed at this time of the year more than any year. More than any year. They have unreal expectations. I was hoping for this. They open up their press. <gasps> they compare gifts. Oh, look what I gave and look what I get. Ah. And then they re-gift it. And all that. You know, and people put unnecessary pressure. Then really, if you wanted to enjoy something, enjoy this. Man, if I die now, I'm going to be with the Lord. Doesn't that make you part, dance and sing? Like, you know, 
What we have in Christ is unbelievable. But you know, it's forgotten. It's cancelled. We don't think about his poverty. We think about the stars and we think about the uh, lights and the decoration and everything. We don't really think about that dark uh, cradle where he was laid, that stinking shed. We don't think about those things. As a matter of fact, the smell of Christmas is something fabulous. Christmas cookies and all the rest of it. Oh, what wonderful things. We don't really think about the cross. We don't think about his suffering. We don't think about his poverty. We, we, and I'm not trying to make anyone here feel guilty or uncomfortable, but I'm just, saying, I'm just saying, I'm using this to preach what this is all about. You know, I'm going to remind you here today that Jesus is the reason for every season. <laughs> yeah, for every day. For every, Jesus is the reason for our salvation. For the forgiveness of our sin. We've been made rich. Jesus is the reason for that because of his poverty and what he went through and what he suffered and how he simply went on that cross. Listen, willingly leads us to the passion of Christ. I want you to see this now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace, look at this, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the coming and the cause of Christ was fully motivated by the love of God alone, by the grace of God alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, 1 John 4 says this, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And here is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our what? Here it is again, for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. The grace of God, the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. This was motivated nothing but by love. That's why works cannot save us and will never appease God. And by the way, undermines the, the cross and everything that Christ is about. Everything. You know, the reason Paul uses 2 Corinthians 8 9 just out of the blue like this you know, it is simply to use Jesus Christ as the greatest example for benevolent giving. Because this is not about the gospel. If you read the passage, it's about giving to poor saints that were simply uh, uh, poverty-stricken because of a famine in Jerusalem and in Judea. And Paul was going around to different churches asking the, the, the believers that if, if they would freely give, to their poor saints. And Corinth, for the most part, were rich. They weren't like Macedonia, or the people in Macedonia who were poor and in deep poverty. Corinthians were rich, and, and he uses the Macedonians, uh, uh, the churches in Macedonia, perhaps Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, or Berea, uses them to say, you know what, God's grace is upon them. Look at verse 1. God's grace is upon them. They gave out of their deep poverty to these poor uh, uh, Christians there in, in Judea that were suffering. And they gave out of their poverty, not out of their riches. And by the way, it was the grace of God that was upon them to do such a thing, to do uh, uh, sacrificial giving. But the greatest and the ultimate example that he gives is our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he be rich, he gave up his riches, he gave up all that he had, if you will, to come and purchase his bride. 
And listen, he did, it, he did it freely. No one forced him. It was by the grace of our Lord. See, this grace here is not only spoken of as you know, something given to you that you don't deserve. In this context, it's, ta it's, it's talking about generously, freely giving. He generously, freely gave sacrificially. And he's using this to help the Corinthians to say, you need to be like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died for your sake. For your sake he became poor that you might be. But you now in Christ should live like this for the sake of others. This is the whole context of this passage. And he uses Jesus Christ as the main example. You know, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves your servants for whose sake? For Jesus' sake. Now, for Jesus' sake. We as Christians, if you will, uh, humble ourselves and live for others. By His grace, we give sacrificially. We, we lay down our life for others. This is the whole point of this context. It's a whole passage. This is what it's talking about. For you have freely received. Freely what? Give. And here Jesus is used as the ultimate example. The ultimate example. He says, he says even this, ye know the grace of God. Oh, or the grace of our Lord Jesus. You know what he's saying to the Corinthians? Hey, no one has to tell you. You know. You know that Jesus wasn't forced to give his life. No one took his life. Listen, he freely laid it down. You know. You're acquainted, you're familiar with this, how Christ demonstrated his love and grace toward us, that he freely laid down his life. You know, what makes this love so amazing is that he did freely lay it down, graciously lay it down. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, uh, the good shepherd giveth his life for who? For his sheep. He gave us life, but gave it more abundantly. You know, Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. And he freely gave us to eat and believe on him. He willingly did it, freely did it. He says, I gave my back to the smiters and to them that plucked the hairs off my back. And, and he hid not his face from the spitting. He freely gave. He freely laid down his life. And he says, you know this. You know that he became poor for your, for your, for, for your expense, for your eternal riches. And so we see the, the passion of Christ. Now I want to say this in closing in 2 Corinthians 8 9 indicates that without Christ we're all poor people. We're all poor people. Without Christ, no matter how much money you have, listen, you are the poorest as you can be. Even the richest man in the world, he doesn't have Christ, he is a poor man. Poor. Because this would refer or indicate to the fact that without Christ we are miserable. Most men, miserable. Without Christ. Without his life, death and resurrection. And as a matter of fact, Paul says, if there's no resurrection, that we, all, we should just live like anyone else. How, how, how do we live like anyone else? Eat, drink and be merry. No thought of Christ and living like Christ. No, 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 no. Just have your time you know, around the idols of Christmas and the idols of, of Christendom. And uh, don't worry about living like Christ. Just do your duty on a Sunday and be done with it and go and live for yourself. No. The Christ-like life is more than just living, eating and drinking and worshipping on the Sunday. It's more than that. It's, it's, it's a life. It's a Christian life. It's, it's, it's what God demonstrated 
toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us and he laid down his life willingly. Listen, without Christ, we cannot live the Christian life. We cannot. And so, the invitation, even if a person simply understands that it's all by grace, it's our responsibility to come to him. It's our responsibility to believe on him. He provides the bread, we need to believe. We need to eat, we need to repent, accept, receive him. He provides the water, we need to simply drink of that living water by repenting and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at this in Luke 5, 3. Notice what Jesus says here. And he entered into one of the ships. Uh, Luke 5, 3. I got the wrong, I got the wrong reference. But he says, Jesus quotes and he says this, I came not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners to repentance. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we know that Jesus came into the world to call sinners to repent, but it's not enough just to know about the event. It's not enough just to know that Jesus was born of a virgin, he, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, he rose again, he's coming again, all that's good, but what have, you, what have you done about what you know? To some people, all it is is a novel, a little story read to children. You know, people have it like this tradition. Before we eat and, 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 and partake of the goods, let's sit down and read the nativity scene. And that's it. That's all. Their life is not you know, uh, predicted as someone that is saved and transformed and growing to be like Christ. I want you to see something very clearly here. I want you to see it in Galatians. Have a look at Galatians. Look at chapter 1, look at verse 3. Look at this. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from what? From this present evil world or this evil age according to the will of God and our Father. Brethren, our salvation is not just about we're saved from sin, hell and destruction, we're going to heaven. Our salvation has to do being saved from this wicked world and the culture thereof. That we no longer want to live like the world lives and be entangled with the affairs of this life. That we want to live like Christ. And this is where our salvation simply needs to end up. This is our predestined will of God, that we will be conformed into the image of Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so we need to understand that this is what God calls every man to come to the truth that makes him free to live for Christ. Our liberty should not be used as a cloak of covetousness. But our liberty in Christ should be lived for the sake of others. We need to live as Jesus lived for us. We are Christians. And that's how a Christian lives. 
to the glory of God and for the sake of others. We walk as he walked. You say, are you perfect in that? No, but we are being perfected. We want Christ to do that work in us. We want God to work in us and through us and use us for his glory. We want to be that salt. We want to be that light. We want to be Christians that are governed by grace, not by the letter of the law that says we just keep towing the line and do the expected and tradition and customs and all that. You're going to be limited. Before I was a Christian and I thought I was a Christian, that's all we celebrated was Christmas, Easter, weddings, funerals, and, 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 and christenings. And then that just faded away because I knew it was just, I was living in hypocrisy. You don't have a relationship with the Lord and you're not walking with Christ and you're not doing the will of God. That's all this is. That's all it becomes. But those that follow Christ hear his voice and they're free to walk in liberty, to serve God. I want you to see this and we're done. John chapter 18, we're done. Look at this. John 18, and we're done. Look at John 18, look at verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, that sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thy own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast, thou do, uh, what hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. hence. Uh, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou the king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, to this end. And for this cause came I into the world. So number one, why did Jesus come into the world? For unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And, he's, and, and, and the government should be upon his shoulder. The rule, the government, and his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Prince of Peace, Mighty, Everlasting Father. All those names belong to him. But he lived a life of humility. His glorification will come once he finishes the will of God. And we will be glorified in him when he comes. But notice the next part. Not only he comes as a king and one day will rule and reign, but notice the next part. Why did he come? For this to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness, look at this, unto the truth, and everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You know, this message can either be a burden to you or a blessing. <laughs> you can go back and say, that was heavy on my heart, but you know what, it's true. 
and the world hates God and the devil hates God. They hate Jesus. You look at the world at this day and you think the majority of the world are for him, decorations. The little nativity scene is in the corner somewhere. They're not for Christ. The devil's always trying to destroy and distort the meaning of Christ and the cause of Christ and the purpose of Christ. And the truth is, brethren, that we are simply rebels against God in need of a saviour and without a saviour we'll be on the opposite end of God, we'll become his enemy and one day we'll be judged in righteousness and God will deal with him, uh, uh, those that reject him. The, the truth is, without Christ, you and I have no hope. He came into the world to save sinners and the call everyone that believes on him, listen, to follow him. I don't understand what kind of Christianity we have today that says, I'm a Christian, I follow God, but they walk in the opposite direction. I don't get that. With their mouth they honour him, but their hearts are far from him. Isaiah prophesied about those hypocrites. Brethren, may God help us not be hypocrites. Our mouth says one thing, but our heart says another. And the truth of the matter is, those that hear his voice, they follow him. And he gives unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And they're saved and secured, and you know what? They enter in the sheepfold, and in that sheepfold, there's a whole word to graze on whole word to graze on that will sanctify us so we be like Christ. The grace of God that was upon the churches of Macedonia. You go home and read it tonight, 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, I want this same grace worked in them to work in you, Corinth. Jesus didn't save you so you can sit on your blessed hope. Jesus saved you and became poor that you be rich in him to live like him. That the grace of God rest upon you. And you'd have the mind of Christ. You read Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you. Tradition, traditional Christianity, what we see in the world today, mainstream churches, we're drifting away from what God wants us to be. Like the 21st century church, we see them. We think, wow. You see, some of them were carnal like the Corinthians. But that doesn't mean they stay in that way. Because again, the same grace that was worked in them, in the churches of Macedonia, Paul wanted it to work in the, And it wasn't by obligation. For the, let's, one more verse, just so I could just finish this, please. 2 Corinthians 8, 8. Look at this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I think this will just really hit it on its head. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians, look at 8, look at verse 8. 
Look what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. You know, he's saying, I'm not putting an obligation or a duty on you to, to fulfill your, your vow and, and your commitment to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. The churches in Macedonia gave freely. Jesus gave his life freely. You give freely. You live like Christ. The way he lived, you live. The way they live, you live by the grace of God freely. And this will prove the sincerity of your love. This will prove it. This is the test. Anyone can give out an obligation. Anyone can give grudgingly. Anyone can give and let their right hand know what he's doing and blow a trumpet. But a Christ way of giving is to give your life, not keeping an account, sacrificially. It hurts. And God wants us to live like this. And I believe the greatest gift that we can give to somebody is the truth of God's word, the gospel. A Bible, these valuable things. I'm not saying that we can't give gifts. Gifts are good. There's no problem. But the greatest gift that was given was Christ and his life laid down. And that's the greatest gift that we can give. We may not have a cent to our name, but we can give our life and we can lay it down. We can tell others about the Lord Jesus. We can point others to Christ. I think the hardest thing to do on Christmas is to point others to Jesus and tell them that they're a sinner. <laughs> I mean, who wants to tell others on a, such a joyous occasion that they're sinners and they've lied and never rebelled against God? You try to do it at a Christmas gathering and you'll see what will happen on that table. Try. But isn't that why Jesus came? from the cradle to the cross? And are we to be ashamed of him? Or are we to tell people, listen, you want to celebrate Christmas, that's up to you, but come, I'll tell you what's it all about. Yeah, unashamed. Unashamed. Jesus came for your sake. He was born in a stable, in an animal house that stunk and all the way through his life, he laid it down to the cross, suffered and died. Six hours of pain and shame for you, he endured on that cross. And what are you going to do about it? What you do with Christ will make a difference for all your eternity. And it will make a difference how you live here on earth. May God help every single one of us understand what's taking place during this time of the year. Amen? The best way to honour Christ during this time is to worship him. They worshipped him at his birth and they worshipped him when he died and they worshipped him when he returned and they're going to worship him uh, after he's resurrected and they're going to worship him when he's second coming and that's all we're going to do in heaven. If you don't want to worship God here now and you're not going to get ready to do it, well, why do you want to go to heaven? Heaven's not for you, my friend, because heaven's going to be about him. It's all going to be about him. We're going to worship him. And if you can't learn to live and worship God now, then heaven's not for you. you. Might as well go be with the wine bibbers and all the drunkards and all the rest of it that want to make every season about them and not about Christ.
Because it's all about him. And listen, brethren, we're fighting the flesh to say, not my will, but thine be done every day, every month, every year. And I'm not going to let the culture of this world dumb down the true meaning of why Christ came into the world. May God help every single one of us. Amen. Let's pray.